not gonna intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Well, the galactic controversy. What are you passionate about? What do you want? That's your opinion and you're entitled. It has but, nothing to do with com- communism. communism was a was a tool that was useful to them because that's how communism works. It's a centralized approach and a centralized control of the economy and the people and the politics. So they they adopted it because it worked and, for and, them. And, and where does the the deterioration of the hierarchy relationships come into play? So so that was a bunch of questions. So so we're saying that between bosses and employees, between husbands and wives, there is this now um, communication that you're not good enough. The subservient person is never good enough. And I can't imagine that that, that, that message, mm-hmm. that, that to me, that seems a deterioration mm-hmm. of the hierarchy, because I can't imagine that that would be able to continue for thousands of years sustainably. So, so again, this, this, this is really a, uh, I, I would say this is mm-hmm. more like a, uh, again, like I mentioned, this, is, this Confucius theory has been there forever, right? But it's really open to interpretation. So I think I, I take my, my company, my employers as an example, but I think it's a little bit extreme example. Um, essentially, the Confucian theory are not that extreme, I would say. Okay, so I think the, again, this, this hierarchy has, I don't think it really has too much to do with the Communist Party. It still goes back to the ancient Chinese philosophy, this Confucian theory. So you actually need to understand the Confucian theory because, before you can understand really understand what's going on in China. Um, so I think people would like to use this word dictatorship. You know, it's very convenient to use this word. But I think the, the, the dictatorship in China, it has been there forever. But the way the dictatorship works in China is a little bit different than what you guys think. So I think deeply inside a lot of people in China, at least, the, at least for the government, when they try to govern their, their citizens, their people, right? It is a dictatorship, but it's more like a, a, a parentship. It's more like I am the parent and my people are just my kids. And I need everybody to listen to me. I don't really want you to, you know, choose, you know, other ways to live your life. As long as you listen to me, I will give you food. I will give the, the resource to live your life. So that is the mentality, or that is the system. I think it it still has a lot. It's still very much different than the the, the actual dictatorship. I don't know if that makes well, sense. Well, I think to they're you. they're an effective I'm, dictatorship. I think there are a lot of dictatorships that aren't very effective, like North Korea and a bunch of other places that have failed states in the last, you know, forever. I think that um, it's convenient. I think just communism and Confucianism. And a top-down leadership and centralized economy is Chinese. All of them, they work in the Chinese system because that's historically how it's been run forever. Now, I'm curious about why, how has China adopted capitalism? And why, in your perspective, why, mm-hmm. why is it adopted and how has it changed things? So, remember last episode that I was talking about my... Uh, mom's experience when she was a teenager, right? She was uh, suffering from... Yes, yeah, very hard to find food yeah. to eat. Right. <clears throat> so that was back in the, in the 60s, 70s. Uh, I think it's from the, starting from late 50s to uh, late 60s. So at that time, um, 
people are not really, you know, because the, the central government, the communist party, they are still exercising the real communism, right? They want to, you know, I want to do a lot better than the UK and the United States. I want to surpass UK and the United States in 10 years. So this, this obsession really make the, uh, the, the, this Chinese leader, the communist, communist party at that time, not really focusing on the economy development, but they want to be spending all the resource on the military, right? They want to spend all the resource on the, say, the steel production. And, and nobody will just, you know, do plantations. No, nobody will do, all the farmlands were abandoned. That was the root cause why a lot of people at that time was suffered from starvation. Mm. So sooner or later, actually people, their life become really miserable and sometimes even unbearable. So in the late 70s, so the first generation leader, Chairman Mao, he died in 1976. And then the second generation leader, you know, come into play and he, Deng Xiaoping, so he started to realize this is not going to work. Sooner or later in the, in the near future, if the, if the country stayed the way it is, uh, there will be so-called peasant rebellion very soon. So this entire country will be turned upside down. All these people, they start, they start suffer from starvation. They cannot live their lives, and they will start to you know come up and protest, and finally you unify and to 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 dissolve this 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 government and all all the all the leadership, all the politicians that are in the highest place. So, and he started to realize this is going to be a problem, and he actually traveled to a lot of you know countries like Singapore, like United States. You can you can you can look at the. The history. He actually established a very close bond with uh, with Nixon back in the early seventies. I think uh, late, maybe late seventies. I don't remember exactly the, the 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 time. And he started to realize, okay, this communism or socialism, whatever you want to call it, is not is not going to work. You will need to embrace at least part of the capitalism. You will need all you you will need all these people to focus on the pro. Uh, you know. You know, you know, working on to do their job and plant the farms and and go to the factories and create more more prosperities. And uh, uh, you you need to give more rewards to those people who are actually willing to work harder. Not really just okay. You just all these resources just evenly distributed to everybody, no matter how much contribution you make to the society. So that's the transition he actually make. So he actually made this economy reform in the late 70s. I think it's in the 1978. He actually made this uh, uh, nationwide strategy to do the e uh, economy reform. So he actually started this transition, so-called Chinese-style socialized economy. So he actually sugarcoat the world. But in reality, he knows, and everybody knows, this is capitalism. So if you work harder, you will get more reward. Was that the actual messaging that he was sending out? Exactly. That that was the actual messaging exactly. that they sent out. If you work harder, you will be paid for your efforts. So you know, before that, there was there was not a lot of you know you know business going on. To be quite honest, you know, because all these companies they are still state owned, right? And after nineteen seventy eight, and especially after nineteen ninety two. That's the second round of the, the the economy reform. So what happened? What happened was a lot of people say if originally they are working the the factory, stayed on the factories, or they work in the the government agency, they actually quit their job, and they 
um, go to the southern part of China and they start their own business because it's more close to Hong Kong, right? So Hong Kong is the, the only connection that you can connect with the Western world, right, at that time. So they actually go to the southern part of China and start their own business, start their own factories, start to, to do business with people around the world. And that's actually how the economy reform actually happens. And eventually this really triggers the economy booming since uh, uh, early 90s. And uh, especially after 2001, uh, China joined WTO. Um, so the uh, the whole country just, you know, on another level of economy, economy booming. So you can see nowadays people, no matter how the government treat them, how, no matter how much freedom you lost by this government, by the governance of the Communist Party, the simple reality is people every day, they are living in a much better life, life than yesterday. See, for my, for my generation, when I was a kid, whenever I need to have a lunch or have a dinner, you can have all the food on the table. You, you just don't want to eat those. Why do you have so, so much food on the table? I don't want to eat this. But this is something that my parents cannot even imagine when they were, when they were in their teenagers. So this is a perfect example that you can see that for majority of the Chinese people, their daily life are just getting better on a daily basis. And this is, this is, this is actually visualized by every single person. So when their life is getting better, in general, there's not too much to complain about. I see. So, so I'm curious to know what about the introduction so of, the of capitalism that, just to made things better in China in 1978-1992 mechanism, where if you, the harder you work, the more you were rewarded you are. So that was a big change. It sounds like. And I, I just want to preface it with saying that we we talked to someone who is it's a Marxist for sure calls themselves Whoa. a communalist, which is a form of communism you could say and 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 one and one of the challenges that communism faces as a faces as a system is that it doesn't efficiently allocate resources because everything That's is it. controlled by the government and it takes a lot of computational yes. and decision making computational power and decision making by the government and that becomes the bottleneck and capitalism yes. is you know guided by the the hand of the market so I'm curious to know why you think that may have impacted the economy and if there's any technological developments in the future, like artificial intelligence that could help better implement a communist system. This is not a theoretical calculation. I mean, the, how the society, how the world, uh, how the Intel uh, world works is not really a theoretical calculation. If, if everybody can have any abundant, if everybody can have abundant resource, nobody's going to make any contribution. And how, who's going to pay that? Who's going to pay the, pays. the tuition for every single person in this country trying to get to, they can to college? Who is going to pay? Where's the money coming from then? Exactly. But it, it is because right now, basically, I mean, not right now, but United States has been a bullying um, country for over the last decades, right? Because every country that you go, everybody recognizes the United States, the American beers. Everybody recognizes the American beers because that's the universal beers. You can use that in every single country. You know, interestingly enough, you know, last time when I was in Jakarta, I actually forgot to bring enough cash in the, the Indonesian rubies. I actually pay 
the driver with with U.S. dollars. That's wild. He happily accepted. Why did you have U.S. dollars? I just have it. You always care. I just carry I U.S. dollars. Like, on you? You know, <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. have all kinds of what, money. Yeah. Oh, look, I think you got twenty right there. <laughs> Fucking James Bond over look at here. Yes. Yeah, why do you? Yeah. Look at this. You were, you were visiting that Jakarta, out. and now you're back in Shanghai, and you're carrying a twenty dollar U.S. dollar bill. U.S. Yeah, I love my. Yeah, I love oh, America. Someone's gonna be knocking on your door America. pretty soon here. What you do you think about saying just, that? America's always yeah, number sorry, one. I'm not gonna. I was gonna ask you about Bitcoin, but I think that'd be going too far afield here. Um, no, no, no. I, I mean, I really. No, <laughs> I really mean uh, it. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We can talk about anything. Seriously. Yeah, let's stick to the list. Everything. Well, I mean, you want to go down the list, Alec? I think it's well. I think it's funny because I mean, I you're talking about the cultural differences, and it's crazy to me that you're using dollar bills in Jakarta, and you're from and you and it worked. Like it was like you didn't have to twist the guy's arm. You just so, throw a twenty at a taxi, a cabbie, and he's happy to take that. it. Well, would would it would Chinese dollars work? Would Chinese currency almost work? like? Well, it works. It works because he still can, you know, go to the this currency exchange machine to to get the rubies. It works, but it's just in general because United States is still the most powerful country. So the U.S. dollars was really backed by the the power of the United States government. So everybody, you know, still paying by the the American rules. So that's why U.S. dollars so valuable everywhere else, which is the the I think from my perspective, which is the one of the most important reason that the U.S. government dare to print the money every single day, because the U.S. government knows that the whole world is gonna digest the inflation of this um this printing bill actions uh, because every because day if the United States, if the United yeah. States yeah. say you the about people there, who oh. are in power in the United States are yeah. immune it, it, to the consequences of printing money. Because every time they print money, they give themselves a larger and larger percentage. When I say give themselves, you know, it's going to be routed through the Federal Reserve and who the Federal Reserve gives loans to. And yeah. but, but as that continues to happen, it's going to raise the cost of living for everybody everywhere. And it, that's going to cause an, an increased amount of hardship. And it will have countries all over the world say, yes, the United States is irresponsible it is with how it, it prints money. We want to store our value elsewhere. And that's why I was curious about you know, as we progress into the 21st century, are we going to have a means of exchange that is not based off of a single country's ability to create more of it? China is, China is working on that. So China is very actively working with, uh, say, you know, countries like Russia, Brits. like Central Asia, uh, Brazil. Is it part of the, I don't the, know. the currency? Yeah, BRICS currency? More than that. That yeah. was proposed, like, um, I don't know, eight months ago. That was in the news eight months ago. At, at least the the, the acti activity between China and the U.S. Uh, the sorry Russia has been you know closed over the last uh, two years. So I think a lot of transactions are actually uh, down with the the Chinese uh, currency. I think this is this is happening, but this will this will happen in a very slow manner. So I think it's still in the next two or three de decades. I think it's still the way it is. Um, so I forget what your question was, Alec, but I I want to make the point that I don't think it's uh, fiscal irresponsibility, irresponsibility on the um, on America's part against printing money. The average I think person it's intentional financial warfare uh, against other sure, countries. That's, that's also true. Uh, that's also true. I, I don't know if you guys are aware, but uh, there are several countries actually went bankruptcies during the pandemic. I think Bangladesh is actually one of the examples. 
Bangladesh actually went, went bankruptcy uh, in 2021 or 2022. I think there's another country, I don't remember exactly, either some, some country from Africa, I don't remember exactly. But at least and, on my and list- And stepping, stepping in and also participating in the financial warfare by offering loans and in exchange for if the country doesn't pay Whoa, back the really? loan, then they have to give up critical infrastructure like airports and trains. Yeah. And I think yeah, they're dams and things known like highways. To be, China's known to do that in Africa, especially. Yeah. And it's what, that's, that's um, how we yeah. do warfare now, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, because I'm curious as yeah, to, like, if true. the United States is printing too much I money, should, how is that money being I say, in my allocated just to these like BlackRock? Like, how is that being used as a, as a way of cultural warfare or economic warfare? Yeah, but... Well, because they dictate how much money comes out. And the way the money flows, it doesn't flow first to China and then back to us. Yeah, but, it flows but to the, the U.S. The, economy first and outwards from there. Yes. We're like the first, we like get the first bit of it. Okay. And then so in the same principle as us, goes to the, second uh, the printing of the money in the United States hurts the average citizen consumer the most and benefits the most the people who are initially there to receive that money likewise extending that principle globally the united states is the first to benefit and then probably the poorest countries around the world Correct. are the ones who are going to be most negatively affected well shit <laughs> i think the the average american citizen also got, got effect uh, got affected in a negative way but it's just not as bad as uh, you know people in other countries i think it's yeah. it's just a as this is a crude interpretation, but I think it's the pyramids. And the further yes. to the Trickle bottom economics. of the pyramid you are, the, the less benefits you receive from the people Correct. above you. Um, you know, back in the pandemics, I think, uh, what's the uh, the term they use? So I think the, Trump, the, the Trump Biden and Biden. government uh, yeah. gave uh, money for everybody, like like thousands of dollars, right? I think for, for myself, I, I also, I think I, even for me, because I have the record that, you know, worked in the United States for a couple of years. Yeah. I think I also received uh, almost more than $2,000, maybe a wow, little bit really? Two disbursements when, at least, I think. One, yeah. Two different ones for like 1200 I think in 2020 and 2021. Three maybe, yeah. yeah. I, I think there were three batches, right? I think there were, there were three batches. But I, I received the first two batches. Nice. I think that's so again, of Trump, the, the first ones. Right. Uh, Trump and, and Biden, exactly. So so you see, right, the... um. You know the the Federal Reserve is uh, all the United States government is printing money, but you guys can get a benefit from the government, right? But how about people in Zimbabwe? How about people in uh, Bangladesh? Yeah. How about people in Venezuela? So what do you think they're about Bitcoin? Get shit. Yeah, it's fucked. It's <laughs> very unfair. Yeah, Say, so they can move in. But but good thing, but good thing they're reproducing and having babies, so they can supplant the dying population in the United States. It balances itself out. How ironic is that? Yeah. Maybe maybe in a dark way, it's fair that way. Yeah. America's just a revolving door. Well, okay. Well, that's deep. What's the equivalent of Florida man in China? The Florida, to me, is still a... Um, I, I've been to Florida for a couple of times. But again, still Florida seems to me is a very mysterious uh, state. <laughs> I, I don't know how to really... I don't, I don't even have a word yeah. to describe Florida. I think the... North Florida and South Florida are still kind of different, right? In general. Very different. Please let me know. Latin. Okay. South Florida is so the, the, Central American. Uh, right. Or Cuban. They speak Spanish. They speak Spanish. 
the language language Southern of choice. Accent. I'll tell you what, here in Gainesville, which is kind the language of, of choice in the middle, in Florida is between the two Southern. different kinds of cultures, walking down the street, uh, more and more you're hearing Spanish almost as much as you're hearing English. I wouldn't definitely not 50-50. It might be 20-80, but wow, it's really? happening more and more. Okay. Interesting. I I I've never been to Gainesville before, but I um it's just uh, a shame that I didn't have all that. Let's see a Florida game. I'm assuming. Were you in Ohio State when Urban Meyer beat Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, 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 no. That was that was that was uh back in the 2006, 2007, right? Yeah. I think it was 2006, yeah. 2008. Yeah, 2006, 2006. Were you you were in Ohio State that Ohio. time, right? So it's interesting no, 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 saying there's I, no I equivalent to Florida oh, okay. anywhere in the world. But that was for your masters. Uh yeah, so I mean, yeah, Florida Man's kind of like this mysterious Chuck Norris character. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Chuck Norris. He's like a invincible kind of crazy guy. He'll kill you with the with the pinky. Florida Man is like he lives with gators and breathes underwater and drinks. For it's resonating a lot with me. Gas stations. <laughs> I don't know if that's resonating at all with you. Um, I, I can I can definitely tell you a uh, another interesting wife. story. I think okay. that's. It's not all positive. Florida man is all across the spectrum. <laughs> so this is also happening in the United States. <laughs> you you should uh, homework for next time we talk is uh, Google Florida man and and just read up on all those things. And I'm curious to know if there's an equivalent character or stereotype in China. Okay, first the thing. First the thing. I always you know. You know, I'm in China right now, right? I always, whenever I talked with my friend, I always praised, I always complimented um, American men in general because the way they treat females, right? How male treat females. Because domestic violence is actually a pretty um, rough issue in China. And uh, say if a husband beat a wife, if they, went to, if they go to the court, the judge will not uh, say, hey, you, you're supposed to go to jail and you're supposed to divorce and you're, you're supposed to give all your properties to your, to your wife. It's not like this. And, and the judge will just try to reconcile, reconcile their relationship, try to re, you know, rescue their relationship in terms of punish the one that actually you know, throw a punch to the other. Wow. So I always tell my friends in China, okay, this is not really the case in the United States. You know, you can see that people are arguing, you know, humiliating each other on the street, but you will never for once see a man throw a punch on a woman's face. This is not going to happen in the United States. This is always the story that I tell my friends in China over and over again. But in China, it's not the case. You can always, I'm not saying you always, but, you know, it's still... In public, it's crazy. not uncommon to see that males beat females on the street. Wow! Yes, I wonder what they. I did can show you some. Videos. Get hit like that. I can show you some videos. Okay, I can show some videos yeah. afterwards. That's crazy. Okay, I, I think ma maybe. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I want to see those videos, but I mean, maybe that's your most controversial opinion: is uh, China men, Chinese men should treat. <laughs> Seriously. Well, you know, I didn't know. But, I didn't understand you know, there was a there was a stereotype like that in either i didn't know how they compared uh, between countries that was pretty wild i'm not saying this is, i'm not saying this is happening every single day i'm not <laughs> saying this is like a routine but at 9 a.m uh, i wake up slap my wife never for once i see that on and uh, and uh, and what is more typical is say if on the street on the street right 
if there's a man got into a fight with another another woman, no matter no matter what actually happened, people will just stand up immediately and defend women. No matter what's really happening, maybe this woman just did something that real bad, right? Nobody cares. So everybody, the first reaction is just stand up and defending the the, the females or women. So that's something that it, you know, uh, you're not gonna see that in China. Interesting. You're not gonna see that in China. Yeah, I think I, I think I in general it's it's that yeah, way. I can't say it. I've ever seen a man hit a woman in public. I can't even. I can't even. I'll tell you a, a, like a, a, real a, life, a, something that flip a, maybe a flips the other way. Ever, in the United honest, States, in my life. you have I, I kids, children who will be like very unruly in public, screaming and whatever. And then their parents will scream at the kids and curse at the kids. And I is that does that ever happen in China? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, that yeah. that might be a Do little bit of a difference. You know, I, I remember when I was in Taiwan, the yeah. children in public were. Yeah. It seemed to me better behaved. It's, Just like the. I mean, this is a bad. This is. I apologize for the comparison, but but uh, like. I think Taiwan is uh, not okay. And in Taiwan, I was, it was yeah, very remarkable uh, to me yeah, how well-behaved the children and the dogs were. The dogs and the children were all, like, very well in line, like, very well-behaved. Um, you did, almost didn't even need a <laughs> leash. Dogs. Like, the dog was, like, right by the person's side. And and then here in the States, like, you might be in line for groceries or the bank or something. And a child would just be screaming hysterically. And then the parent won't say anything. And just gets worked up and worked up until they start screaming at the kid, and then they're kind of like screaming at each other. And so I, that's a big difference I noticed internationally. I I think in China parents will immediately tell their their kids to uh, to behave. And also, I I, I want to come back to the this uh, Florida man topic. I want to give you another example of what's happening in China. I don't know if you can find some similarities. Okay, there's a, there's a huge stereotype, which you know sometimes is actually true. Okay, about people. Men, okay, especially males in in North China, and uh, the males in South China, are quite different. So I can give you an example. Okay. So I, I myself, I'm from you know southern part of, southern part of China, right? So typically, what happens is in in the in the in southern part of China, say if if two males got into a fight, say I'm just gonna take okay. you guys an example, okay? Say let me add, uh, let me and the hunter. Why you I guys wanna... say you um, so your 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 cars bumped to each other, each other right? and you guys step out of the car and trying to argue. Hey, this is your fault, and you guys start to point the fingers. So what happens is in the next thirty minutes, you guys just curse each other, right? Humiliating your 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 your, your families, uh, your families to each other, right? And then even spit onto your your face one another. But no one will actually throw a punch. In the next thirty minutes, they will just keep arguing. They they'll just keep cursing. They will just keep humiliating verbally, but they will okay. never actually get into a fight. Now, and that's northern China it's or the, southern China? No, the, the southern China. And in North China, we always made fun of this case. Okay, say you guys just having a beer in the bar. You guys don't know each other, and all of a sudden, you know, just uh, you have a random eye contact, and I will just say, "Hey, what are you looking at?" And and Hunter <laughs> will just say, "So what?" And then next thing you know, I already throw a punch to uh to uh to Hunter's face. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I did not know about that. So that, that either. so 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 that is the uh the the stereotype that we always have, you know. So the 
you know, people from southern part of China always accuse people from north part of China to be less civilized, less educated. And the people in the north part of China always accuse the the have you ever gone to fist fight at a bar? Right in the southern part of China, you're not really man enough. You're just like a pussy, right? You Why never got a fist fight in public. Okay. okay, I never got into so trouble with anybody else. Okay, never. It's because Shinchuan outsmarts. Have them. you seen anyone in? Have you seen people get in a fist fight? Maybe I just don't have the guts. I don't know. Maybe I just. Oh, very easily. Yeah, very easily. Interesting. Very. Yeah, people can get irritated very easily in, in north part of China. I think it's because they're so closer to know. Mongolia. Maybe they're all just like the kids of Genghis Khan up there. So they're all fucking just trying yeah. to fight each other. Oh, so I think this has a lot to do with the, you know, the Chinese history and even has a lot to do with the, um, the you know, the mm, geography, right? Because in the, in the south part of China, especially uh, near the, the Yangtze River, which is the southern part of China, uh, I think, you know, back in the days, um, actually people transitioned from the hunting, uh, you know, lifestyle to farmland working style. Because you have enough, you know, water, you have, you know, fertile soil. So you actually can plant um, rice and wheat. So you don't have to travel around and hunt animals to, to survive. So you can actually settle in those places. And once you get settled, you know, your family will get large, right? And then you'll get more civilized and people will start to get more education. So that, you know, in general, in general, actually, there's a, a, a conception that, you know, the, the, the people in the southern part of China are more civilized than the north part of China. And these, especially if you look at the, uh, the three provinces at the northeast part of China, you know, 200 years ago, it's, it was actually not a part of China. It was just, you know, some rural areas with no, no uh, you know, human beings living there. Yeah, no, not that. Not Nigeria. So if you Google the, the three provinces in the, the northeast part of China, Jilin, Liaoning, and Heilongjiang, so um, you, you will realize that uh, 200 years ago, there was actually no civilization in, the, in that part uh, it's uh, of It's similar like in Hokkaido, ago? Japan. It's, Hokkaido, Japan is ago. the big northern island. It only within, say, the last 100, 150 years has had the mainland Japanese influence. Before that, it was just tribes. But whenever you are talking about the 3,000 year civilization, it's major in the central and the south, not really south, south, south but yeah. the central part and the, yeah. um, you know, near the, the, the Yangtze River and the, and the, and the, and the Yellow River. That is, that's the two major rivers across the, uh, the Chinese territory from, from, from west to east. So that's you can actually see the, the traditional um, Chinese so this is taking a bit of a well, different direction the, asking the, a question the here that was inspired by from. Ben um, Ben our friend and uh, a frequent guest sent us some videos that uh, on Instagram of big high-rises and even big multiplexes of a bunch of buildings in China being demolished like they would have built dozens of these high-rises it looks like they almost complete them and then they demolish them and the whole building comes down. And at least one of these videos, it's like 12 of these big high rises all being simultaneously demolished. What the heck is going on there? Why are these big buildings, apartment buildings being built only to be destroyed? 
Um, still, I think that this has a lot to do with the economy, right? Uh, especially after 2008, after Beijing held the Olympic Games, I think, uh, you know, at that time, China has been on a, uh, a fast, uh, fast track in terms of economy uh, growth. So internally, the Chinese government actually printed a lot of money, um, which is like what uh, Trump and uh, Biden uh, down during the, uh, the pandemic era. Also, in the meantime, you know, after the Olympic Games, you know, a lot of people from different countries get to know China a lot better. So they actually invest a lot. So that's part of the reason why, you know, Chinese Chinese economy has been on a even faster track. So the way they use this money, the way they how to drive this economy moving forward, at least one of the major industry is the real estate. So you can see a lot of infrastructure being built, you know, um, you know, after 2008. So you can see the urbanization in China went crazy at that times. So a lot of the, um, you know, the local government, they try to um, sell the land, not necessarily sell the land, but they more like rent the land uh, to the real estate developers so that they can actually get money from these developers. So that that's how the, the local government can, um, you know, make a profit um, uh, at that time. And then this real estate developers just you know constantly constructing constructing new you know commercial buildings in the residential areas, um, you know especially for this Chinese family you know especially when they want to get married they always want to buy a property, they want to buy an apartment because otherwise it's just really difficult for a couple young couple to get married with a, a renting apartment. So um, sooner or later you will realize that this um, construction. It was just too much to handle because you don't really have that many people need one more than one or even two or three apartments. Because um, a lot of Chinese families, you know, they still have like more than two or three apartments or houses. It's just too too much for. Um, you, you just don't have that many many more people want to buy buy new house or new apartments. So these over constructions, um, their cash flow became a problem. Right before they can actually sell those apartments, they already take loans from the bank. But when they had a hard time to sell those apartments, their cash flow become a problem, and they have to when when you know they have to go uh, bankruptcy, and this all these office buildings and apartments they had to be torn, uh... torn down so that you know the government can resell or re rent this land to other developers. So I, I think that's what's happening in China. I think when you are talking about demolishing those. Uh, you know, half down, uh, all those buildings half complete. I think that's not very common. That's not happening on a regular basis. But what is even more common is actually a lot of these apartments that are built, uh, you know, after the completion, no one actually uh, will buy those apartments. So those apartments just being empty forever. Why this is actually something that you can see in every major cities. You know, it's quite common everywhere. They can't. They can't. This is this is uh, this is uh, this is where the the central government, the where the communist party come comes into play, because if they lower the price, on one place, the uh the maybe mm -hmm. the entire region or the entire city, the housing price will be shaken, because the Chinese economy has a lot has a very tight relationship with the real estate. If the housing price drops significantly, the entire economy will be in a big, fat trouble. 
that's something for sure, because all these people take loans from their from the banks, right? You know, I, I think a lot of people, major, the majority of their assets are actually in their properties. So if there's a problem with the housing price, their 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 you know net worth will drop significantly, and the entire economy will be a big trouble. And then people, so the Chinese central the government sets a minimum price. Again, this is something the Chinese central government would definitely estate? don't want to see. It, it's a tricky. It's a very tricky. Uh, it's it's not very easy to do. You cannot really, you know, allow the housing price to go go up uh, uh, without any limit. But also in the meantime, you cannot really lower the price significantly. So there's a, there's, this is a very tricky thing to do. I'm definitely not a uh, economic guy, but I read this, you know, um, you know, articles talking about the, 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 the housing, okay. the housing pricing strategy uh, in China. It's, it's just very complicated issue. So what I, what I can say for sure is that the central government definitely has to, and they indeed play a major role in terms of determining the housing price everywhere. So in Shanghai, this uh, this metropolitan Beijing, Shanghai, and in those tier two, tier three cities, every place is different. But no matter where, where you are talking about, the 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 central so it might not be explicit uh, legislation that sets any kind of a minimum of price, but the, the central government price. has a very strong influence on making sure that. Sellers of real estate don't offer too low of a price because that could cause a, a recession. Perhaps if everybody started buying cheap real estate, it's 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 at least for the new apartments they're keeping the demand. Sorry, I, they're I keeping the supply the artificially low. They're, even though the there's a greater supply than than what is what the price reflects. The price is reflecting an artificially low supply because they're not letting them sell at a lower price. Of course, the government want people to buy more houses. If they buy more houses, that means there will be more real real estate developers, you know, coming to play and buy the the land from the government or rent the land from the government. Of course, they want to do that. But in reality, is you know, all of us are living in a you know unhealthy somewhat unhealthy economy status right now, especially after pandemic, especially in the next couple of years, I'm not seeing that the whole world will turn around in a, in a positive manner, you know, anytime soon in the next couple of years. And look at this war going on everywhere else, right? In in between Russia and the Ukraine, right? Between Israel and the Palestine, and also north part of uh, mm-hmm. Myanmar. I don't know if you 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 have any idea. There's a major war going on in north part of uh, Myanmar. It's actually very close to the southwest part of China border. So you see this warfare going on, and I don't see. And also, I am seeing that there might be a major war in 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 China with maybe with Taiwan in the next couple of years. This is. Uh, I'm wow. not saying this is going to happen for sure, but there's there's a chance. You heard it here first. There's a chance. I cannot rule out the possibility. Right, so so when the yeah. economy is bad, there will be definitely some conflict going on, you know, with one one country and another. This is how you can actually, you know, make people that not really focus on the internal affairs, rather just focus on something outside of their their country. This is also, you know, that's that's what um government do. Uh, every single day for every countries, if there's a, if, whenever there's a, there's a internal problems, you know, you just transfer this problem outward, and then 
you will have a higher approval rate in general. Just think about how much approval rate uh, Bush got right during the 2003, 2004, right? 80% of approval rate because of the Iraq war. This is just what's happening every single day. I think it's a universal in every country. If it's a, if, if it's a, if perceived a, as a you mean, you're saying if we announce wars, the, the approval rating is going to yeah. go up? Iraqi freedom was seen as just because of what had happened in 2001. Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think in, in, in Russia, same thing. In, in Russia, it's the same thing. The, the economy is, in, is, is, is a shit show, right? And then they launched a war towards uh, Ukraine. And my, I, I did this in the very beginning that mo- majority of the Russian people would say, hey, we are defending our land. You know, Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. We are the same people. We speak the same, la- I mean, pretty much similar language, right? I think the pro- approval rate will, will, be, will be, you know, will be extremely high. I think it's also the same thing in China as well. I mean, if the China economy is good, I don't think that the Chinese government will launch a war towards Taiwan. But if the government feel like, okay, at some point, they feel insecure, the economy is not very good. And I feel like this society is not very stable. Mm. And I think there might be something going on. You know, people are not very happy about the government, you know, governance. And then I need to find a way to, you know, transfer this pressure um, externally. I think this is a common you know, political act for I, I agree. It's very common. But for them to get the people on board, there needs to be a justification. And I think in Russia, part of it w- was you don't think so? Yeah, this you know, I, I can tell you for sure that 90, 90, 95% of people support the war uh, in Taiwan. Oh, okay. And they've got the justification. Because Taiwan's seen as like a unruly child, right? Taiwan is seen as like this, this, like they don't know what's good for them. At least eighty percent. Unfortunately, that that's really the case. Especially, okay. you can say you can say that the Chinese people are brainwashed by the Communist Party. You can say that. I don't want to sugarcoat it, but that's the simple reality. I mean, I mean, if if we launch a, if the Chinese government launch a war towards Taiwan, I think a majority of the Chinese people will support it. Sounds like you're supportive of a war, should you? No, I'm not supporting anyone. That's no good to anybody, you know. It's, but it's, and also when you're looking back the the three thousand years history of China, you know, there was no one time that you know there was not a major war in in the in the time span of eighty years. But I think you know over the last sixty seventy years of Chinese history, I don't think there's a, I mean there's some regional wars. But I don't think there's any major wars in in China over the last 60, 70 years. And this is not common. This is actually uncommon when you're looking back at the Chinese history. But I think, you know, nowadays a lot of people just take this for granted. People just automatically think that no wars will happen in China. But I don't think that's really the case. Chen Xuan, I know it's, it's late for you. And we had a really hard time scheduling this meeting. I appreciate you taking the time. What is, uh, so we're kind of changing it up with the last, the end of the session. What question would you like to ask people who listen to this? Um, you know, I, I've, I've been, I've been a talkative guy all the time, right? Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm very much, uh, self-centered in a way. So I don't know. Um, how, how, I, I've, I've never thought about it to be quite honest with you. I've, I've never thought about it, but I'm just curious. I'm just curious how, mm-hmm. how. What could be the major thing that uh, you think is 
really surprising, you know, over the last uh, two and a half hours. What what are some of the things that you think? Um, okay, this is the first time I heard of, heard of it. I'm just curious. Curious to find what was the most surprising thing in this conversation. Yeah, most unexpected thing. Okay. So any novel right. ideas or or facts that we talked about in this conversation? Exactly. I'm curious what their opinion was. Because because what I just talked about, I think it's I think it's you know a, a lot of people in China they they know this already, so it's not anything particularly new. But I'm just curious, you know, um, from people, especially in the United States, um, or, the, or I'm assuming that uh, most of the audience are from the United States, yeah. so. I'm That's a good curious. question, and you and we can ask that question, and we'll give you the feedback so you can communicate that to the Communist Party so they can on over. Getting okay, some data. Hey man, it's always a pleasure having you on, Tinchuan. You're one of my favorite uh, guests that we have on, and hopefully we'll have many more Thank conversations you. with you. Oh, by the Thank way, uh, uh, Luke, you, I remember you once said Luke Sandlin, yes. his episode was very interesting to you, and you'd be happy to talk with him. Uh, he off camera said that he would be interested in talking with you. He just can't do it right now because of the position he's in. So one day, once he's done being a dirty Republican, we'll have him on with you. <laughs> Just tell him I like Chris Christie. Chris Christie, I like him very much. <laughs> Chris Christie, this all right, shout best. out. Yes. I like it. Thank you, Shinshuan. No problem. My pleasure. Goodbye. So, listener, the question has been posed to you. What did you find to be most surprising about our conversation with Sinchuan? Could it be that buildings are being destroyed or that um, American men actually treat their women relatively decently compared to other countries? If you're listening on Spotify, the way you can answer is by scrolling down. There's a question below in the episode. Or if you're listening on another platform, then you can reach us directly via our email. It is entitled opinionpodcast at gmail.com. And then we've got our Instagram. Our handle is entitled entitled opinion pod and then our website is entitled opinion.com i get a little uh confused with all the different variations of how you can get in contact with us but rest assured we do want to hear from you we engage everybody who sends us a message so thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you in the new year